When we forsake the true living God, we have no other choice but to embrace false gods, to embrace counterfeit gods. I think that clearly what's happening in this passage is God is absolutely sovereignly directing everything about this. And God has his hand on Ahab's heart, even though Ahab hates God. And God is directing Ahab to do what God wants Ahab to do. God wants Ahab to show up. He wants the prophets of Baal to show up so that he can be glorified. And so God is sovereignly directing this. In your notes here, I put together just a a list. This is a partial list of all the times that Scripture says to us that God is directing the affairs of kings and rulers. Just take a look with me. Genesis chapter 20. How uh, God said to Abimelech in a dream, it was I that kept you from sinning. Remember, uh, Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt and Abraham pretends that Sarah is just his sister. And God says, it was me who kept you from sinning against Sarah. Exodus chapter 4, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will cause you to be be defeated before your enemies. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson in Judges chapter 13. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. 1 Chronicles, so the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria. Second Chronicles 21, the Lord stirred up against Jeroboam, or I'm sorry, Jer- Jeroboam, the anger of Philistines and the Arabians. Ezra, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Isaiah 13, behold, I'm stirring up the Medes against them. Ezekiel 16, I made you flourish like the plant of the field. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Habakkuk 1 verse 6, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Do you see? This is just a partial representation, not of how God directs people, but how God directs nations and kings. And do you see just how God declares, I have absolute control over what happens in my world. God is directing Ahab to this place. God is directing Ahab. He's preventing Ahab from from taking action against Elijah, and he's causing Ahab to, to acquiesce and to obey. Brothers and sisters, why in the world would we ever fear what this world or what man can do to us? Why would we ever fear what creation can do or what man can do to us. When our God says so specifically and so clearly and so repetitively, it is I that directs the affairs of men. I am the one who puts kings and queens in their place. I am the one who takes kings and queens off of their place. And I am the one who controls what they do in the meantime. Why would we ever fear what creation could do, or what people could do. Look with me at Isaiah 51 and verse 12. God says, I am He who comforts you. 
Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Do you kind of hear the, the indignant nature of God's, God's tone of voice right there? It's like God is indignant about it. You mean to tell me that you're afraid of people? When you know me, and you know me to be the God of comfort, you know me to be the God who comforts you, who cares for you, you know me to be the sovereign God that I am, and yet you're afraid of people? It's like God saying, who do you think you are? To scorn my name like that, having known me and fearing humans. Why would we be afraid of what this world can do to us? Now, God is directing Ahab here. But that doesn't mean that God has, has changed Ahab's heart. It doesn't mean that God is do, or that Ahab is doing what he's doing from the right motive. Ahab still has an evil motive. Ahab still hates Elijah. Ahab still hates God. And he's not knowingly cooperating with God. He still has an evil motive in his heart, but yet God is just overriding that. He's just overpowering that and still bringing about what he wants to bring about. It reminds us, of course, of of Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching the sermon on Pentecost? And he says that, that according to the definite foreknowledge and plan of God, you crucified this man Jesus, meaning that it was God's intention, it was God's plan, but you in your evil hearts, you're the one who wanted Jesus dead. So it's not like God changed their motives or caused them to do what they did for a good purpose, but God nonetheless overrode their evil intentions to still bring about his good purpose. In the same way, Ahab doesn't love Yahweh now. Ahab isn't, isn't co- uh, uh, cooperating with God's plan. He still has his same evil intentions, but our God is so sovereign and so powerful that the scriptures tell us he uses evil to bring about good. He doesn't just do away with evil. He doesn't just make evil go away. He uses evil for his own good purposes. So now, let's look at the last section. And we'll see here, Israel's dual sin. So back up just a little bit to verse 18. So here's where Elijah answers Ahab once again. I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. And now he's going to spell out how it is that Ahab exactly has troubled Israel. He says, because... You have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals or the Balaam. So there's, it's like this dual charge, this dual accusation against Ahab that number one, you have repudiated the rule of God. And number two, you have embraced counterfeit gods. So you see the duality, the, the, the twofold nature of his charge. You have repudiated God and you have ran and embraced the counterfeit gods. So that's kind of like the first and second commandment. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make false gods or carved images. So it's kind of like the same thing where God's saying, not only will you not forsake me, but you will not embrace false gods or counterfeit gods. And that's exactly what Ahab has done. So we see this sort of the same kind of a dual charge in other places in Scripture. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 9, they will say, 
because, first of all, number one, they abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt. And number two, they laid hold of other gods and worshiped them and served them. So you see the same sort of dual charge. You abandoned the true God and you embraced false gods or you embraced counterfeit gods. Same thing in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Jeremiah specific there. Here's two. Two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me, says God. The fountain of living waters. And number two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. That's a poetic way of saying that you have fashioned your own gods. You've forsaken me and you've embraced counterfeit gods or false gods. So there's something to that, that twofold dual nature of the charge. And what that says to us is that says that this is the fallen human heart. That when we forsake the true living God, we have no other choice but to embrace false gods, to embrace counterfeit gods. You see, our hearts were made to worship the living God. God made you in such a way that you were were designed to worship and serve and love the true God. It's like a puzzle, a puzzle piece. You've all put puzzles together and you know how puzzles work. You can take two pieces that weren't meant to go together and you can kind of force them together, right? But you know it's not right. the, The lines don't quite match up. They don't lay flat. They kind of fit, but not really. Until you put it with the piece that it was made to fit. And then it fits perfectly. Then you're like, oh, he's made to go there. In the same way, that's how God made us. He made our heart to perfectly fit his. Like a puzzle that needs the other piece. He made you to love and to worship him. And so when you repudiate him or when you forsake him, because you were made to love and worship God, that doesn't mean that you don't then, then don't love and worship any other God. You're just sort of a God to yourself. But it means that you will automatically fashion other gods, counterfeit gods, fake gods, false gods. Why? Because your heart was made to love and worship God. And when it doesn't, that doesn't mean that it doesn't worship anything. It means it will find a counterfeit God and it will do it immediately. We we see that this is the pattern throughout Scripture, but we also see that this is the pattern in our own life. You see this pattern all around you. We all are worshiping people. One of the things that modern people like to talk about is they like to talk about being in charge of their own destiny. You know, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not going to worship any god. I'm, I'm done with religion. I'm not going to have any of those gods. I don't need that. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm my own person. But nothing could be further from the truth, because all of us are worshipers, and all of us worship something. Now. Let me just describe just a little bit about what I mean by worship. And this is really, next week we're really going to get into this in much more detail. But just for today's purposes, think about worship like this. If, if, you, if you think worship is just coming to a place and having this, this official public worship like this, if you think that that's what worship is, that this doesn't make much sense to you. But if you understand that what worship is, is this. Worship 
is when you in your heart say this thing or this person or whatever, I have to have that in order to have peace, security, or happiness. That's what worship is. A counterfeit God is anything that your heart says, that's what I have to have in order to have peace, security, or happiness. So whatever it may be, it may be a possession, it may be a status, it may be uh, uh, an accomplishment, it may be a relationship, it may be anything within the scope of human experience. But whatever it is that your heart says, if I don't have that, I won't have complete peace, I won't have total happiness, and I won't be secure. If your heart says that, then you are worshiping that thing, and that thing is your God. The true and the living God is the one thing that our hearts truly need to have peace, security, and happiness. But when we repudiate the living God, our hearts don't say, oh, well, I'm in charge of my own peace now. Instead, your heart immediately and automatically substitutes counterfeit gods in which your heart says, I've got to have that in order to have peace. I've got got to have that in order to have happiness. And those who live without Christ in this world spend all of their life chasing a myriad of false gods. But here's the thing. Those who are in Christ can also do the same thing. Even though we know the true and living God, that doesn't mean that our hearts are free from counterfeit gods. Let me just illustrate this in a, in a way that I think may be helpful for us. So we're talking about worship. And in the context of talking about worship, let's talk about just, just that, that time in your day. I, I hope that all of us understand that as followers of Christ, that there should be a time in our day, each and every day, in which we specifically set aside for focused worship. You can call it quiet time, devotion time, morning time, whatever whatever you may call it, hopefully we all sort of, it's baked into the cake that we know we are supposed every day to have a time of focused worship. Our lives are a worship of God, but there is still supposed to be sort of this focused, intentional worship daily. Okay, so think about that time. Think about that time. Can you relate to just how many things come into your thoughts to distract you from that time? You you know what what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? You're in that time and a million things just have to be done right then. Somehow your email just has to be checked right then. You just might have gotten an email since yesterday that you've got to see. Or somehow you just have to go put the dishes away right now. Or you just have to go whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's astounding to me. In that time in which I'm supposed to have focused, intentional worship, it's astounding to me, and listen to this part, how many things tell me you need me in order to have peace. Unless you check your email, you're not going to have peace. 
Or unless you order this thing that you forgot to order on Amazon yesterday, you're not going to have peace or happiness. Does that sound like a stretch? If you think about it, it's not. There are a thousand things that tell you in, in that time where you say, soul, I'm here to worship God intentionally and purposely right now. There are a thousand things that say to your heart, you got to have me to have peace or you got to have me to have, have happiness. That's the human heart that craves counterfeit gods. You don't have the option of not worshiping. You don't have that option. No human has the option of saying, I'm I'm not going to worship anything. You don't have that option because God created you to worship Him. And you can't undo that. And so when your heart does not worship the true and living God, it's not like you have this vacuum in your heart. It's immediately filled with all sorts of counterfeit gods that lie to you and say to you, I am necessary for your happiness. And that's why the Scriptures, that's why Elijah can say to Ahab and uh, and the Scriptures can say to us that here's, here's the duality of forsaking God. You don't just forsake God, but you forsake God and you embrace His counterfeits. You embrace all these false gods that say to you, that lie to you and say, you have to have me. You have to give attention to me. You have to do this. You have to succumb to this. You you have to do this or else happiness will elude you. Peace will escape you. Security will be out of your, your grasp. You'll be in danger. You'll be at risk. You will lose happiness unless you have me. This is the duality of our hearts. This is why left to our own, all of us will repudiate the living God. Left to our own, all of our hearts will find a counterfeit and will latch on to those counterfeits and will leave the living God unless, unless the Lord God keeps us which he has promised to do. This is why Paul will say to the, to the Ephesian elders, uh, this is why Paul will also say to Timothy, guard your heart. This is why the Proverbs say the same thing. Guard your heart. Why? Why must you guard your heart? Does that mean we don't guard our thoughts? Of course we guard our thoughts. Does it mean we don't guard our actions? Of course you guard your actions. But why must you guard your heart above all? Because your heart is actively seeking gods. Your heart is actively seeking what to worship. It's it's like counterfeit gods are steel and your heart is a magnet. And so that's why Paul says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Focus your heart on that which is true and that which is real. That is the living God. So now this brings us to the point to verse verse 20. And the stage is now completely set to enter into what I believe to be the Bible's greatest, grandest showdown. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.